Bankless Nation, we have a bold episode ahead of you because Arbitrum just released Arbitrum Bold. Don't shake your head, David. That was a good pun. We're uh, talking about the decentralization of Layer 2s. It's a process. It's a continuing journey to make our Layer 2s more and more decentralized over time. And uh, this has been the next bold step. Don't kill me, David. Uh, <laughs> All right, what are we covering today? Well, you said it. We're covering Arbitrum Bold. Um, yes. I think I'll call this an, a gym badge for Arbitrum. Arbitrum mm. has won a gym badge. Uh, who What's is giving... a gym badge for people who don't lift, David? Uh, <laughs> How do you win a gym badge? No, that's a, that's a, that's a Pokemon reference, brother. Oh, okay. um, and so uh, Layer2Beat, Layer2Beat.com, it's a site yes. that uh, kind of gives um, a grade of security across all of the Layer 2s. Mm. And Arbitrum uh, is not live yet. It's going to be sent for a DAO proposal, and you would imagine that the Arbitrum DAO would approve it. And uh, upon approval, there is going to be a yellow slice on layer two beat that turns into a green slice. This is the level of analysis that listeners come to Bankless for. Um, so we're going to open up. Yeah, so we'll talk to Ed and Raul from Arbitrum about the show, about this particular risk vector to layer twos, as well as the rest of the other slices that need to turn green. But Arbitrum, importantly, not only is getting a green slice on a particular variable that makes up a layer two, a critical component, but they are also the first layer two to get this green slice, which is why we're doing the show today. That seems pretty important. I, I think we're also going to talk about this idea of staking. Maybe yes. not staking ETH, though, which we love to talk about, but maybe the ideas of staking the ARB token. What does that even mean? What could that look like? When could that happen? David, what's the overall context for for, for this? Um, I feel like we're very much in kind of layer two season right now. What's, uh, what's the meta around layer twos? Yeah, I, I'm making a claim, but I claim that this incoming bull market is layer two led and there are only such uh, only a few players that are really pushing that frontier arbitrum being being one of them certainly uh, and so paying attention to layer twos that are pushing the frontier that are developing first get, that are collecting their layer two beat gym badges uh, i think are is the thing to pay attention to that is the signal amongst the noise um, all layer twos have their own sdks uh, we've talking about the op stack frequently arbitrum has their orbits uh, and then in an additional innovation out of the Arbitrum Sphere stylus, all of these things fit together. There are There's a story to be told here. So while we unpack the story about Arbitrum Bold and what it means for the Arbitrum uh, Layer 2, uh, there's also other peripheral topics at hand that all um, induce a conversation about the growing influence of the Layer 2 ecosystem. But first, before we get into this episode, we disclose, as we always do at the beginning of Bankless a podcast, Arbitrum is currently a Bankless sponsor. I am an investor in Arbitrum. Both David and I own assets in lots of Layer 2s. Just a reminder, we're long-term investors. We're not journalists. We don't do paid content. There's a link to all Bankless disclosures in the show notes. David, we're going to have Ed on the podcast, who is a co-founder of Offchain Labs. I'm not sure if we mentioned that. Also, Raul Jordan, they'll be on in a second. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible, including, maybe most importantly, our strategic exchange partner for 2023, that is Kraken. Go create an account. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. Introducing Polygon 2.0, the value layer for the internet. For too long, the limitations of blockchains have held back app development and stifled user adoption. The internet allows anyone to create and exchange information. What's missing is a value layer that lets anyone exchange, store, and program value. That's where Polygon 2.0 comes in. Polygon Labs has unveiled a series of innovations that will radically alter the Polygon ecosystem and Web3 as a whole. By leveraging groundbreaking ZK innovations, such as Polygon ZK EVM, the next iteration of the best 
in-class Plonky 2 proving system and a first-of-its-kind ZK-powered interoperability layer, Polygon 2.0 will give users and devs unlimited scalability and unified liquidity. Right now, there is a Polygon improvement proposal regarding a potential ZK-powered upgrade of Polygon Proof-of-Stake. If approved, Polygon Proof-of-Stake would become a Layer 2 ZKEVM Validium. So make your voice heard on this proposal by joining the Polygon Discord today. You have a chance to help the Polygon community give the internet the value layer it deserves. Are you planning to launch a token? Is your token already live? And are you granting your employees and contractors vesting token awards? And are you trying to figure out how to take care of taxable events for your team? Toku makes implementing a global token incentive award simple. With Toku, you will get unmatched legal and tax support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. Toku will help you navigate across the life cycle of your token from easy to use pre-launch token grant award templates to managing post-cliff taxable events with payroll. For legal, finance, and HR teams, it's a huge complex task to have to comply with labor laws, payroll and tax obligations, tax reporting, and crypto regulations in every country that you employ someone. It's difficult, time-consuming, manual and costly, and it's drawing more attention from global regulators and governments. Toku makes it simple for leading companies in the space, Protocol Labs, Hedera, Gitcoin, and many more. So if you want some help navigating the complex world of token compliance, go to toku.com bankless or click the link in the description below. Bankless Nation, I would love to introduce you to Ed Felton, a co-founder of Off-Chain Labs, the organization that created Arbitrum, and Ed's first time on the show. Ed, welcome to Bankless. Thanks for having me on. In addition to Ed, we also have Raul Jordan, one of the co-founders of Prismatic Labs, the Ethereum consensus client, which not too long ago got acquired by Off-Chain Labs. Raul, welcome back to the show. Hey, good to see you all. So it's always good when a layer two comes back onto Bankless because that means something's happening. The devs are doing something. Uh, are y'all feeling extra bold today or what? How how's it feel to be inside the Arbitrum ecosystem lately? Ed, I'll start with you. Super bold. There's uh, there's a lot happening. We've got bold. We've got uh, Stylus, which is our EVM plus technology. We've got Arbitrum Orbit chains uh, getting built and uh, a lot of amazing things in the pipeline. So it's a fun time to be doing this stuff. Certainly. Yeah. And one of the main reasons why I wanted to, to do the show with you guys is the uh, there are two worlds in crypto right now, the pro layer two world and the anti layer two world. I think it's pretty safe to say that Ryan and I firmly fall in the pro layer two camp. Uh, but from the critiquers of layer twos, they'll say that they are not decentralized, that they are centralization and, and the Ethereum is as centralized as our layer twos. So with this uh, bold announcement, this starts to actually progress into that frontier of layer two decentralization. So I really just want to start there because that is the bulk of the excitement that I'm feeling today. Ed, maybe we'll start with you again, and then we'll get into Raul. But at the highest of level, what is bold? What does it do for the Arbitrum tech stack? Yeah, bold is the next step in decentralization for Arbitrum. Arbitrum is already the leader in decentralization. Um, but what Bold does basically is it um, once it's deployed, it will allow chains to have fully permissionless validation. And so what that means from a security standpoint is that any one participant in the protocol, meaning basically anyone in the world, can force correct, can force the correct outcome of the Arbitrum chain, even if everyone else is against them. So it basically means that you yourself as a participant in, in the protocol can force the correct behavior. You don't have to trust anyone else. So that just means that if there is one honest person yes. that wants to force Arbitrum to be correct, then all, that's all it takes is one person. That's right, right. So right now the situation in Arbitrum is there are about a dozen uh, validators. It's a permissioned role. And if any one of those is honest, then the chain uh, guarantees correct outcomes. So the big change with Bold that Bold makes possible is to open that up and make it permissionless so anyone can force correctness. I have a follow-up for you here, Ed. So this, this term decentralization gets bandied about yep. a lot and has been bandied about for a very long time across crypto. And it's almost become kind of like a purity test. Are you decentralized or are you not? <laughs> yeah. And what I've yep. always struggled with that particular word is it's, um, <laughs> it's often poorly defined it's very um, subjective and not objective. One thing I've really appreciated about this cycle, at least with respect to layer twos, is we have a bit more of an objective measure. And I don't know if this is the perfect measure, the only measure. I will say that it's it's kind of my measure because it, it, it's, it feels like it works. And that is the measurement on layer two beat. Layer2beat.com, if bankless listeners want to go check that out. And you will have heard it referenced 
uh, multiple times. So when you said something like, when you said the, the, the words, Arbitrum is leading on the decentralization front for layer twos, um, I think the, the confidence that you bring in saying that is kind of some level of the objective measurement on something like a layer two beat, which actually like stages out the level of decentralization of various uh, layer twos. And this is, um, this is the gym badge I think you were talking yeah. about, David, in the intro, yeah. right? Is we have an actual like pie chart. And uh, for bankless listeners who are listening to this and can't see this, again, go to layer two B, go, go click on uh, Arbitrum or go click on the you know, layer two. Look at the um, risk analysis here. There's five slices of the pie here uh, that we need to turn green, essentially. So right now in green, uh, Arbitrum has data availability, proposer failure, sequencer failure. In yellow, Arbitrum has upgradability and state validation. Okay, um, you are ahead of some of the other layer twos. Uh, so Arbitrum right now is in stage one. Some of the other layer twos are still in stage zero of achieving those slices of the pie. Um, can you just set the context for this pie? First of all, do you think that sure. this is a reasonably good measure? And can you tell us about these various slices of the pie? Sure. Um, I do like this measure a lot. The L2B team, I think, um, they do a really rigorous job of examining these systems. Uh, they give us a hard time when we mess up, as <laughs> you know, which which it, which is fair. And um, uh, I I think they are sort of the most authoritative source about the security or decentralization state of um, of of various L twos. Um, so yeah, so there's there's five slices in this pie, um, and these. Are five different areas uh, in which we, as a uh, you know, in developing the Arbitrum technology, have striven to to provide decentralization or security. I really think of you know, as you said, decentralization. There's a lot of words said about that. Um, at the end of the day, it comes down to security. What, who are you vulnerable to if you use this technology, and how? Um, and that's kind of what these five slices are about. These are different ways in which, um, different ways in which a, a technology might make its users vulnerable or might fail to provide enough protection to its users. Um, and each one is rated by L2Beat as red, yellow, or green. Um, yeah, and so we can run through sort of what the five, um, what the five areas are. Yeah, and I'll like start that. with the. Sure, great. Okay, and I'll start with the ones where Arbitrum is green. <laughs> um, the one on the top is data availability, right? So basically what that means is, is there some party who can withhold information from you about what actually happened on the chain in a way that could put you at risk? And that's green in Arbitrum because Arbitrum posts your data on Ethereum as call data. And because Ethereum call data is available to everyone in the world always, um, Arbitrum gets a green on that. So the right, mere so, act of posting to Ethereum turns yes. this green because of the properties of Ethereum. Since no one can exactly censor right. or turn yeah. off Ethereum, you automatically just get this green slice. And this is also why, uh, just a quick note, why 4844 is so important because that call yep. data is a big cost to the Arbitrum layer two and 4844 makes that cheaper. And so Arbitrum yeah. already has the green slice and that green slice is about to become cheaper with 4844. Exactly, right, right. So this, and this is the case for most rollups, right? Most mm -hmm. rollups will have this slice green because they mostly do put their data on Ethereum. And as you said, it'll get cheaper for all of us. So um, let's see, um, if we move around to the lower right to proposer failure, proposer basically is a party who is, um, uh, proposers are the parties who are, um, uh, who can, who basically make blocks in the system. Um, and the question there is, is there, is there something the proposer can do either by being malicious or just by crashing that can stop the chain from being correct or from making progress? And again, here Arbitrum is green because we have built the system in a way or designed the system in a way that um, that's not subject to those sorts of problems. Um, lower left is sequencer failure. A lot of these systems have sequencers these are parties who receive transactions from users and then sort of produce the official list of which transactions 
have been received by the system and in which order. Um, and so again, the question here is, is there a if there's a sequencer, if the sequencer fails or stops, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? Or if the sequencer is malicious. And again, this is green and arbitrary because there's nothing too bad the sequencer can do to you. The sequencer can't censor your transactions. It can't forge a transaction. It can't take money out of your account or force a false uh, result. So this one again is green. Before we right, move on here, move is, is there yeah. a relationship between the proposer and the sequencer? It depends on which chain you are on. Um, okay. On some chains, proposer and sequencer are the same um, uh, are the same component. Um, are it? I, it's probably fair fair to say in Arbitrum that the those roles are both played by the Arbitrum sequencer. Hmm. And how did Arbitrum earn its green slices in these two slices? Um, one of the most important essentially by designing the protocol so that the sequencer is trusted for only one thing, and that is to say which transactions it has received and in what order. That's number one. So the sequencer isn't trusted to handle anyone's money. It's not trusted to assert what the result of the transaction is, just saying, I received this signed transaction from David or from Ryan or whoever. Um, so that's all it's trusted for. And also because Arbitrum is designed so that even if the sequencer just stops or refuses to, uh, or pretends it didn't see your particular transaction, there's still a backup method you can use to get your transaction included. Mm -hmm. So Arbitrum guarantees there's no censorship by any party, including the sequencer, uh, no matter what the sequencer does. So it's that combination of not trusting the sequencer to do anything more than sequencing. Um, and um, and also having a, uh, having a censorship-proof way of guaranteeing of forcing your transaction into the system. That's how that one. Got, that's how those got green. Beautiful. All right. Congratulations. Now we can talk on about your greens. Let's talk about your thank yellows. You. <laughs> yep. And let's talk about the yellows. Yep. So first, state validation. This is basically what this is about. Is um, uh, and this is about uh, how it is that we guarantee how that the technology guarantees uh, that the results of transactions that are settled back to the Ethereum chain are correct. Um, and currently Arbitrum uses fraud proofs with a permissioned set of validators. And as long as one of those validators is behaving honestly, then you're going to get the correct result. But why did that list need to be permissioned? Ah, well, Basically, it's because there is a certain category of attacks against the settlement protocol that are eliminated by the bold protocol. This is one of the things that bold will improve. Um, basically, the, what bold will allow us to do is, well, so this slice of the pie is yellow by L2Beats uh, uh, criteria, because although, we although Arbitrum has fraud proofs, the participation is permissioned. And so when this becomes permissionless to participate in the fraud proof protocol, then uh, then we expect this to turn green, of course. And so for that to happen, that would mean that the Arbitrum DAO would, would have to choose to adopt the bold protocol and also choose to make validation permissionless. Um, so, so that is that's the first yellow That's pretty much what one. bold is doing, right? Okay, so, so we'll That's exactly what bold is for. Yeah, the purpose of bold, one. A very simple way of, of saying the purpose of bold is it is to make permissionless validation safe so that this pie slice can turn green. <laughs> right? It's not just, of course, slice. it's not just changing some pixels, right? It's the fact that <laughs> the green signifies that you are safer right. and uh, that permissionless validation actually does protect you. And that's what bold way that, is. And it, don't do. That's what bold is. Yeah. Okay. And we're close to that, but it's not there yet. So here is the, uh, I believe this is a blog post with bold and the proposal yep. as well. But then what needs to happen? Uh, does this need to be voted on by the DAO and actually implemented after that? Yeah. So let me talk about where we are in this process right now. Um, this blog post went up uh, just recently um, and the code is available. There is an academic style white paper about the protocol and all the details of it, and also a security audit done by Trail of Bits, which uh, is also uh, which is all published. So that's all there. Um, within a few weeks, we expect to um, uh, 
to release a capability so people can run uh, run devnets uh, that use the bulb protocol for their own testing. Um, and then after that, um, we uh, we expect to launch a uh, uh, a special uh, testnet that uh, uses Arbitrum Nitro stack with bold. And at that point, then uh, someone can make a proposal to the DAO to to adopt uh, bold. Also at that point, anyone who has is running or wants to start an orbit chain will be able to use bold. So that's kind of the process that we expect to happen over the coming uh, over the coming uh, weeks to months. So I want to unpack bold with uh, Raul here, but um, just to really tie off this pie slice, we have one sure. more slice, which is the uh, upgradeability one, upgrade and that's sim that's simply just because Arbitrum can be upgraded, but it is delayed, which is why you get a yellow one. And so, right, uh, yeah. th this is the explanation, right, uh, Ed? Exactly right. So there are two ways that there are two main ways that upgrades can happen. The DAO can vote to do an upgrade of the software. Um, and mm -hmm. that is going to happen with a delay. Basically, after right. the DAO approves an upgrade, then there's enough delay that anyone who has assets or positions on the chain will be able to unwind those and fully withdraw before the change takes effect. Arbitrum also has a security council, which is a set of 12 people who are elected by the DAO. And um, they and nine of 12 of those can take emergency action if it's okay. uh, if it's deemed to be needed. And, and so uh, that exists. The existence of that trusted security council is why it's uh, yellow, not green. Uh, yes, I believe that's the. I believe that's the case. Cool. Is there a way uh, to make this one green? Do we ever want to do that? Got to take away the multisig. Well, so this is the. There's a trade-off here, right? So if there, if there should be a security emergency, people will appreciate having a security yeah. council that can act act quickly before a vulnerability gets exploited um, and push an upgrade. Um, because you wouldn't want to have to react to a security emergency by having a big public debate on the DAO and then like, <laughs> put, approving the fix and then waiting 13 days for it to take effect. Right. Um, and so the existence of the Security Council, it's really there as a stopgap in case of security emergency. Yeah, I'm and, trying to feel like in my head whether I would feel better about this being green or if I'm like if I'd rather it stay yellow for a while. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like yellow is the color of preference right now. But at some stage, maybe it turns green. Yeah, how, yeah. how are you guys thinking about that? Well, it's really up to the DAO. Um, the The DAO has the power to change or completely revoke the power of the Security Council to do uh, to do an upgrade or do anything. The DAO can choose to abolish the Security Council. Uh, my sense right now is that people are kind of where you are on this mostly, that they feel like it's, um, you know, it's a comfortable enough situation that the the balance of risks, the risk of a security emergency with no response against the risk of the uh, nine of the 12 Security Council members turning evil um, is uh, people are comfortable enough with that, I think. Um, but yeah, L2B deems that to be a yellow. Okay, Raul, I want to bring you into this uh, conversation because I want to turn into, uh, now that we have gone around the sphere of the pie slices, we want to dive into bold because again, like I said in the intro, this is the frontier of layer twos right now is permissionless validation. And so Raul, can you just unpack bold for us? Like, what What is the mechanism and what problem does it solve and what does it provide to Arbitrum? Absolutely. So I guess I want to take a take a step back as well, because, you know, we're talking a bit, we're talking a lot about, you know, badges and kind of, you know, things that things that we kind of want out of a protocol. But like, why do we want these things really? Like, why is it really important? And, uh, you know, I think, you know, basically uh, summarizing many, many years of Ethereum scaling efforts, the way we started is, is basically, okay, you want to scale Ethereum. There's a few different ways you can do that, right? Layer one is slow and, and needs to be slow for many reasons, needs to be secure, decentralized, censorship resistant. And uh, you can start by, you know, building side chains where maybe you bootstrap your own set of validators or your own kind of consensus mechanism. So over the years of research, uh, you know, very smart folks, including Ed here, they, they thought that, hey, like, why don't we just use the security of Ethereum that's provided to us instead of bootstrapping our own chain to kind of do something? So instead of people launching their own brand new chain with a small group of validators, we can leverage Ethereum's decentralization and security. And over the many years, we realized, okay, how do we actually uh, reduce trust as much as possible 
can we get to a sweet spot where uh, we're really depending on Ethereum for almost almost everything, right? And I say almost everything because you can't get 100%, uh, you know, the security of Ethereum, but you can get pretty close. And uh, basically, Bold is a culmination of all those years of research. Um, it's really important that I think the reason why L2s are so valuable to people is, you know, is twofold, right? Like, first of all, there's this Ethereum equivalence that's kind of going on, but also uh, that people can bridge uh, basically assets uh, from Ethereum to L2, right? So if I have, if I have, you know, ERC20s, if I have NFTs, if I have different things that I want to bring over to L2 and use them over there, I know I can do that, but most importantly, I know I can get it back on Ethereum, right? And, and that process of getting things back from L2 to Ethereum is really the tricky one, right? That's the one where a lot of trust assumptions occur. So uh, in the past, we've had you know, many, many systems where you have to trust a set of participants that you'll be able to get your assets back. Um, and with, with so much, you know, so much value being bridged over to these L2s, you have, you know, multi-billion dollar, uh, you know, TVLs, you have, uh, you know, people that are relying on this and relying on, they have some trust in the system that they can get it back. And how can we reduce that? How can we move that trust from humans into math and computers and, and really good software? Uh, you know, and my spicy take is that I think if we don't have that, uh, Kind of trustless way of getting your assets, getting your liquidity back on Ethereum. It's basically just a side chain with extra steps, right? <laughs> um, and that's why we think that fraud proofs are really, really important uh, because they guarantee this. And for people that are using it, you know, if you're an end user, if you're using Arbitrum and you're listening to this, uh, like when you're using the chain, uh, you know, like what what gives you a strong guarantee of being able to get those assets back is this validating bridge. And this validating bridge has security properties that are really important. But the security is not up to the, the best we can possibly make it. And with Bold, we'll finally be able to remove those extra steps and make it a lot more secure. Okay, so this means basically rather, Bold means basically rather than just the whitelisted people, uh, the whitelisted groups who can uh, watch the chain and then uh, you know do these kind of these these fraud proofs, anybody can. So does that mean like, I could, does that mean David could in a post implemented world? And like, how do you go about like actually doing that? I, I wouldn't know where to start. Is there a website <laughs> I, I plug in or is there some code I download and then kind of run? How does that work practically? That's an excellent question. So when you're, you know, so what does it mean to actually like, you know, secure the chain, like with fraud proofs and do that kind of stuff? Like, is it a manual action people have to take? And no, the answer is, uh, uh, if you're running, if you, you can run Arbitrum Nitro software in the future, you can run it, you can even, you know, you can try it today on test nets, you can do all kinds of things, but um, an Arbitrum node software has this thing called a validator. And, uh, and its role is to basically be watching for states that are being posted to Ethereum and challenge them if it disagrees. So, you know, you're running a local node and running a local node is the best way that you can be sure of the, of the history of the chain, right? Like I know that you know, the latest block number is this, I know the latest block hash is this. I can then, uh, you know, if somebody says something different on Ethereum, I can challenge that. And the node software will do that for you, right? Uh, the Bolt software that we built is constantly scanning, it's constantly taking actions, it does everything it can to guarantee that it can win against any number of evil claims, right? Mm. And if everyone else in the world is evil and saying bad, saying things that are wrong about Arbitrum on Ethereum, uh, you know, if you're a lone validator that's running your own software at home, you'll be able to challenge that and win against any number of entities. Okay. So, and then, go for it, Ryan. Go ahead, David. Oh, I was just going to act that, that the, the actual task of challenging and winning is just simply a matter of running some software. And I could run that on my consumer laptop. And then what happens if I spot some bad behavior? I'm like, oh, look, there, there's fraud committed. Does the software actually... The software spots it automatically, and then what happens, right? Does it automatically kind of reverse those transactions, or like mm -hmm. what? Um, you know, how does this fi finally settle? That's a great question. There are there are multiple steps uh, towards what's going on on the L2 node and what's going on with Arbitrum and Ethereum, right? So, um, what 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 this bold protocol is doing is helping the settlement process on Ethereum. So. Um, you know, transactions are posted uh, to Ethereum from Arbitrum via the, the you know, the, the proposer, the batch poster all the time. So there's constantly data being pushed to Ethereum. But it's only after a period of seven days 
in which basically uh, these transactions can be confirmed on Ethereum as being valid, right? And there's a period of seven days in which anyone can challenge these claims and say that, hey, I think this was wrong. Uh, you know, we need to we, we need to do something about it, right? So uh, the node does not, you know, during the settlement process, the node does not necessarily like roll back transactions. It doesn't affect the state of the L2 node. It affects what Ethereum sees as the correct Arbitrum state. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, if I could jump in here. Of the, course. Um, yeah, if somebody makes a false claim about the outcome of um, what happens on uh, on an Arbitrum chain, um, and 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 your um, your hypothetical uh, validator uh, thinks differently, your validator will post its own claim, and then essentially the Arbitrum chain will have forked. Now, everyone who's every all the other validators will know that your fork is the correct one, and they'll just use your fork and keep on going. But meanwhile, um, the Arbitrum, the bold protocol, will figure out that your fork, it, your branch is the correct one. It will prune the other one off. It will take away that other person's stake. And then everything goes on. So basically, nothing gets rolled back or undone. Uh, it's just that if there's a disagreement, um, the bold protocol will operate in the background to identify all the bad uh, branches of a fork prune them off, take the, uh, and take those staker stakes. And guys, why am I doing this? Would I, am I doing this out of the goodness of my heart? I, I just want to kind of keep the streets clean and, and protect uh, the, the crypto networks I care about. Uh, is there so, like, so is it a public good or is there some sort of yeah. other incentive at play here? I mean, there's a bunch of reasons people might do it, right? One is that you might just want to be a good citizen. If you're running, an Arbitrum node already for whatever you know reason you might have, then it's really cheap to be a validator um, because all, all the validator does is your validator is already uh, computing along and figuring out what's happening on the Arbitrum chain. All it needs to do is make sure that the claims that people are posting about that are correct. Um, and so in the normal case, um, uh, being a validator costs almost nothing if you're already running a node. Okay, um, so, so you might no be just doing work. it for that reason. Yeah, there's, there's no, no additional work, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so you might be doing it for uh, for that. You might have some skin in the game. Maybe you are um, a company that's running an application on Arbitrum, or you have some assets there that you care about, and you want to be able to act to protect them just in case everyone else in the world turns evil. Um, it also may be the case we expect it to be the case that in that the Arbitrum DAO will pay some parties. To uh, to act as validators as well. Okay, uh, so all of that makes sense then, and all we need, importantly, is one person, one single node to kind of sound the alarm, and that's all it takes. We're we're not talking about as in with Ethereum where we have like a one third kind of threshold, we have a two thirds threshold, different things can happen with uh, the amount of ether staked. In this case, because it's you know proving uh, something true or false, all it takes is one honest participant in order to sound the alarm. That's correct. That's one of the best security properties you can get, I think, in crypto. And, and that is really nice. Um, you, know, you don't need this. You don't need this consensus assumption. You don't need all these kinds of things. Um, and the nice thing also I'd like to add is that um, if this honest party, like let's say that you know you're the honest you're the only honest person in the world is defending Arbitrum, and uh, maybe your computer dies or you go on vacation or something, right? Uh, that doesn't matter because um, you know every every other node that's any, any other honest node in the world can take can take your role and can help uh, help you win against an evil participant. So um, it's not like you know Ryan is is the only honest person. Ryan must defend Arbitrum. Uh, you know, uh, David or, or Ed or anyone else that wants to pick up your work can come in and also help. So it's it's that's really one of the secret sauces of Bold is that it's uh, it's not it does it's not tied to a particular staker or participant. Anyone who's honest can help defend the honest state. That's very cool. And you know, I would be one of the honest ones. I'd be one of the good guys in this in this scenario, as 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 you guys know. Um, but you know what? It's just uh, it blows my mind sometimes. Like cryptography is really magic when it works in these types of of situations, and you get that sort of you know uh, trust assumption. Guys, there's more to discuss, including what shared sequencing actually means inside of Arbitrum. We also talked about um, the ability to stake Arb. And what would that actually mean? And then I want to talk to you guys about the the future roadmap of Arbitrum and what's coming next, as well as like 
more broadly what's coming next for layer twos. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible, including MetaMask and their portfolio application. This is, if you're preparing your bull market battle station, as David says, use the MetaMask portfolio app to scan all of your assets and know what's happening where. Go check them out. Are you a MetaMask user? Well, you're listening to Bankless, so of course you are. The wallet you know and love just got a whole lot better. MetaMask Portfolio is the ultimate one-stop shop for all of your crypto needs. It gives you a holistic view of your crypto portfolio across multiple chains and multiple addresses all at once. You can easily view and manage all your coins, tokens, and NFTs in one convenient place just by connecting your wallet. MetaMask Portfolio goes beyond just viewing your portfolio, though. Inside the portfolio, you can do all the incredible money verbs that make DeFi so powerful. You can buy, swap, bridge, and stake your crypto assets with ease. It's like having a powerful battle station for all your DeFi moves right at your fingertips. So if you're looking to do more in Web3 your way, MetaMask Portfolio is the answer. I already know that you have MetaMask Wallet, so go check out your MetaMask Portfolio. Learn more at metamask.io slash portfolio. Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO-owned treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and OnRamps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed onto Arbitrum 1 with a flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystem. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own layer three, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. Faster transaction speeds and significantly lower gas fees. Arbitrum empowers you to explore and build without compromise. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app on Arbitrum. Bankless Nation, we are back with uh, some of the folks from Arbitrum, Ed and Raul. We're talking about the decentralization of Arbitrum and a uh, a new gym badge, as David called it, a new slice of the pie was added and Arbitrum is in the process of becoming more decentralized, uh, which is great news through the introduction of this bold protocol. I wanna ask you guys a question about maybe this this other slice or, or a question in general. It's been kind of a conversation piece across uh, the layer two ecosystem in, in crypto. That's this idea of um, sequencers. And I think, Ed, you said earlier, um, a sequencer and a proposer in Arbitrum are kind of like one in the same. Um, in maybe, effect, maybe yeah. not. Okay. So, um, yeah. can, can you talk to us about this idea of shared sequencing? So sure. can other participants be invited inside of the Arbitrum network and start to take some of that sequencing type role? I, I understand that Arbitrum sort of, um, does that in some respect. Now you guys are the only sequencer. Talk to us about the, the path forward there and why you might want to do that. Sure. Yeah. There's currently a centralized sequencer that is run by Offchain Labs for, for Arbitrum 1. Um, and of course, the DAO could assign that role to anyone else if they wanted to. Um, and basically, you know, this is part of the story about the, uh, as I think you said earlier, the, the progressive story of decentralization um, or the road of decentralization. Um, the sequencer already uh, plays a very limited role in the system. And really, the the only uh, significant harm that the sequencer could do to someone if it was misbehaving would be things something like front running. So the Arbitrum sequencer is trusted not to front run user transactions. User transactions get sent to the sequencer. The sequencer publishes a feed of the transactions that it has seen. And that's kind of the um, official canonical story about which transactions have arrived at the chain. And then the settlement part 
of the uh, protocol, which is what Bold is doing, is happens after that to determine what are the correct results of executing those transactions. So the sequencer is this kind of, um, no, uh, its job is kind of to notarize the transactions that have arrived and in what order, right? And so um, th that's its only role. Um, so there's been, there's, there's been talk about, and a lot of research about decentralized sequencing, which basically means instead of having one party that does that, you have, there, and there are many different ways of doing it, some kind of committee of parties who collectively register which transactions have arrived and sort of collectively um, publish a sequence of transactions. Um, and if you do that carefully and in, cleverly and, and, and in a well-designed protocol, it's possible to reduce the vulnerability to things like front running or uh, other forms of malicious MEV extraction. So uh, does Arbitrum and the Arbitrum DAO, the whole ecosystem, have a plan to move towards uh, shared sequencing? It's it's interesting in that on at least L2Beat, it doesn't seem to be a requirement for turning those pie slices green. Um, right. And yet there is this centralization vector around front running, uh, around what you know yeah. we've called in the industry MEV, right? Which could be a mm -hmm. source of centralization. So what is there a plan to decentralize this? And like, what, what would that even look like? I need to divide this kind of into two pieces. One is where's the technology going? Because you know our team at Offchain Labs is developing, doing research and developing technology that will be available. But in terms of what actually gets deployed on say the Arbitrum one chain, that's really up to the DAO. So our team is doing research, we're developing alternatives and we're working toward um, implementing um, decentralized sequencing. Um, and when we get to the point where we have a mature protocol that we think is, um, uh, is is ready to go, if you will, um, then I think you end up with something much like what's happened with Bold, which is that we announce that, we make it ready, uh, we make it available, and then the DAO could choose to do it. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of where we are on that. Decentralized sequencing is uh, just like uh, decentralized validation, is a complicated technical problem, um, which we've been working and thinking a lot about. Um, we don't have a solution that we're ready to unveil uh, at this point. Mm -hmm. I do want to hop backwards in the conversation. I had some technical difficulties until I lost my uh, lost the uh, the finishing of the bold conversation. But Raul, I want to throw this one back to you. Ed here he said the bold protocol, and also like we have this new thing that we're implementing into into Arbitrum that allows for permissionless validation. But like at a cursory glance. Yeah, anyone can validate the chain. That seems like such an easy thing. Maybe you can talk about like why was this a hard problem? What what is the hard thing about this problem that you're trying to solve? And and when you take a peek under the hood of Bold, what what does that system actually look like? Why why did Ed call it a protocol? Absolutely. So the problem that we're trying to really solve is how do you settle um, the correct Arbitrum states to Ethereum? And uh, and in in optimistic rollup protocols, uh, this process is there's there's a there's a period of time in which people can come in and challenge claims posted to Ethereum. So, playing once again the game of good and evil. Let's say we have a, an honest party. Let's say Ryan, who mentioned he's the honest validator here, is making claims, is checking that things are right, and then I post a malicious assertion or somebody else posts a malicious assertion. Ryan can call me out and he can be like, hey, like this is wrong and. Uh, Ryan, his his node will run the bold protocol, which is a set of instructions on how to resolve this disagreement. Um, so that's the whole idea. We want to be able to narrow down, okay, who is right and who's wrong. And Ethereum will be basically the final arbiter, uh, which is you know one of the reasons why Arbitrum is called Arbitrum, of, of this challenge. Um, and it's a protocol because there is a series of steps that needs to be taken um, and, and participants will follow that. Uh, the honest participants will follow that protocol. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason we we built this is because it's really difficult, um, you know, to 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 create a, a protocol that is safe against a, an important category of attacks known as denial of service. So we mentioned that there's seven days in which things can be confirmed from Arbitrum on Ethereum, and in that seven days anyone can challenge. If there's a challenge, there's an additional seven days in which that challenge will be resolved. However, today. Uh, evil parties can continuously spend money. They can basically spend, 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 and, and basically spam and cause a lot of problems so that 
so that things are never confirmed. So the challenges go on forever. As the well, seven as days just never run out. They just they just submit another proposal, and then all of a sudden, they, it's the seven days just resets, and then we are seven days until the end of time. Yes. So there will be a there will be, a, you know, they can continuously you know deny service. So you know basically they can deny confirmation of Arbitrum states on Ethereum for as long as they're willing, and that's really not a good thing. Okay, so, so that, that is the problem. That is why that is, yeah. permissionless validation is not just this trivial thing. We have to solve this one problem, which Raul just articulated. Right. They had to, in 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 the prior protocol, and, and as far as we know, in all of the uh, settlement protocols that have been published by anyone so far, um, you have these delay attacks where an adversary who's willing to sacrifice a lot of stakes can cause a lot of delay. And... The thing that is new, the, the thing that the bold protocol achieves that other ones haven't is the ability to uh, eliminate all false claims in, um, in essentially constant amount of time, in essentially constant bounded amount of time, no matter how many false claimers claimants there are. So if it's just um, Ryan's collect, correct claim against like Raul and his 999 civils, uh, all making separate claims, um, the uh, um, with bold, um, Ryan will be able to defeat all of the Raouls in uh, with only one extra week of delay, one extra challenge period of delay, um, and that's the thing that is unique about bold, mm -hmm. um, and that's why it is safe to allow permissionless validation because you don't have to worry anymore about these sort of civil attacks where or just like a swarm of evil stakers. Previously, protocols tended to use a sort of tournament style where if there were a bunch of competing claims, you would pair them up and they would sort of fight each other one by one and then the winners would advance to the next round and so on. Yeah. Um, and here, instead of using a tournament style, you have just like one giant fight where they all fight against each other. And just as quickly as a one-on-one -on -one fight would have been before, this is an all against all fight where one will be left standing at the end. Huh. Um, and that's something that's unique about, uh, uh, about the bold protocol is the ability to have that all against all fight that gets over regardless in the same amount of time, uh, essentially, regardless of how many um, combatants there are. I'm fearful that if I ask for more technical details, we're going to start to get really nerdy really fast. That was a fantastic oh, yeah, we can. Uh, a metaphor, <laughs> though, uh, a metaphor, Ed. Raul, is there anything else you want to add on to, to Ed's metaphor there? Yeah, it's a battle royale, basically. And it's really, <laughs> it's really easy to win. If you're honest, if you, if, you, if you follow the honest state of the chain, you're going to win at the end. And, and, and that's it. And I think that's also, it, there's two sides to the coin. It's really nice because that property discourages evil parties from even participating at all right like why would you participate if you're always going to lose against somebody who's honest mm. so a dispute about arbitrum state should be rare right unless you're unless you're willing to uh, to lose something right when you make when you make a claim when you participate in a challenge you have to put up some stake and that can get taken away if you're wrong mm. uh, so why would you participate in the, in the in the game that you will always lose um, and yeah it's basically a battle royale and honest party always wins yeah, so the the mere threat of the bold protocol, the existence of the of the bold protocol, is the threat that likely deters perhaps the majority of attackers that are interested in attacking Arbitrum. Um, what is there like a, a licensing conversation or an open sourcing conversation of of the bold protocol? Is this um, a system that other layer twos can incorporate? What's the conversation here, Ed? Yeah, the, the the bold code is licensed as uh, the same as uh, Arbitrum Nitro, um, okay. which means um, that um, it's a business source license. That means you can use it for any non-production use, but also that you can launch an Arbitrum Orbit chain that settles to uh, one of the DAOs chains uh, permissionlessly. So it's the same as any uh, other Arbitrum code. So um, with Arbitrum Bold, Right, we will have once that's implemented, we will we'll have collected another pie piece for um, uh, layer two B, and so that's great. And we're gonna wait for a while on the upgradeability thing. Is that it? Are we done? Have we decentralized our layer twos? I know there's some shared sequencing, um, you know, stuff to 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 do, but we actually got this question recently um, from the Bankless community, which is how. Um, 
secure are my assets and activity on a layer two? And the question is, is that equivalent security to Ethereum mainnet is the overarching question. And I feel like that's what the community uh, really wants to know is, are the things that I'm doing on layer two, is that equivalent from a security perspective mm -hmm. to um, layer one, to mainnet? How would you answer that? I'll, I'll throw it to yeah. you first and then Raul. Sure. So let me talk about what assumptions you need to make in order to uh, in order to uh, uh, get to the point of deciding that your uh, assets are as secure as Ethereum. Well, so first of all, you need to assume that Ethereum is secure because layer twos are built on top of Ethereum. If Ethereum goes bad, then the layer twos um, have a problem anyway. But you ask, when will it be as secure as Ethereum? So let's talk about other assumptions. So one assumption you need to make is that in for Arbitrum is that um, or uh, is that there's at least one validator who is honest participating in the validation protocol currently or the bold protocol once that is put in place. Um, if what you want is a guarantee of non-censorship and correct outcomes and progress, um, then you you're there but with the caveat, right? The caveat is that the L2 is consists of a bunch of other software and um, you, you need to worry about whether that software has bugs, right? Um, just like any software that you're relying on. Um, and so, you know, as a development team, we, we, we do our best in this area. Um, we do tons of testing. We, do, we work on formal verification of some of our things. We, uh, we we have a lot of security audits and uh, and due diligence in in all the ways we can, um, but I think once you get um, other than once once bold is deployed, um, then I think the remaining areas that you might worry about are one this upgradability and do you trust this security council, and then two uh, is there a bug in the software. In any layer two system, you have to ask, is there a bug in the software that operates the layer two? Because it's additional software on top of Ethereum software. Right. And there was a take in the last week's weekly roll-up that I gave out that I want to, I perhaps, uh, I'm the one who's known to fire from the hip at Bankless between me and my co-host here. And so this might have been an instance of that. And so I want to check my take against an actual layer two team. Uh, the take was um, after the news that... Um, uh, MetaMask portfolio integrated a stake button for the Matic token for the Polygon network. So you can stake your Matic and be part of Matic staking for the layer two. And my take was that, well, this is going to become true of all layer twos. Like you're just going to be able to stake your token for the particular layer two and participate in network in the network in that particular way. Now, I, I want to check that take against you. I, is there a world in which the Arbitrum token is a staking token that people can stake their ARB tokens in a not too dissimilar way and that they stake their ETH to the layer one. And maybe you could paint a picture for where that is true and then also talk about the sure. instances and why that wouldn't ne be necessary. Sure. So if you look at Ethereum or you look at some other, um, some other chains where staking is integral to the process of validation, right? On Ethereum, there's a large number of validators and you stake to become a validator. Um, and fu the fundamental reason why Ethereum validators need to stake is Ethereum uses a consensus protocol, which is kind of like voting. And you need every voter to have skin in the game um, in order to make sure that people have incentive to behave in an honest way within the protocol, right? Um, with Arbitrum validation, it works differently. A party who makes a claim about the outcome has to stake. But if you're a validator and you see someone staking honestly, you're good. You don't need to stake yourself. Um, it's only in the case where someone stakes on a false claim that under bold, you need to make sure that someone also stakes on the true claim. Right. So, but it's not the case that everyone needs to stake. Mm -hmm. In the normal case in Arbitrum, only one party is staked in the validation process. So it's not inherent to the way that Arbitrum validation works that there needs to be stake. Um, someone needs to be staked. That stake is currently in ETH. If the Arbitrum DAO could change, could decide to make it be staked in ARB if they wanted to. Maybe they will, who knows. Um, and of course, on an Orbit chain, 
if you're running your own Arbitrum chain, you can decide how things are going to be, right? You could have staking on your chain if you wanted to launch an Orbit chain. Um, and mm -hmm. the Arbitrum DAO could decide to introduce a staking element into the protocol, but it's not something that's currently required by the design of the protocol as okay. it stands now. Right. Okay. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why we do layer twos is that actually you don't need 33 or 66% consensus over your layer two network. Yep. In fact, you just need an N of one trust model as in just one honest actor to power the networks. That's why we like layer twos. Where where my mind goes, my, if I want to put on my token speculator tokens are awesome hat, I want to stake my ARB token and have a share of the economic activity of the network go to my share of the ARB tokens, mm -hmm. right? The sequencer revenues. And so I do, again, I don't know if this is uh, on the Arbitrum path, if this is the path that Arbitrum is token, but like if I wanted to just make a broad sweeping vanilla token model for layer two tokens, it would be stake your ARB tokens and receive some proportional share of the Arbitrum sequencer model. Does that model make sense to you? And is there of the many potential futures of the Arbitrum uh, roadmap, is that one of them? Well, currently the way it works on Arbitrum one is that the, um, is that the uh, fee revenue of the chain Mm -hmm. Minus the part that's needed to pay for the L1 posting costs of the sequencer. Right. Um, right. Um, the rest of it goes to the Arbitrum DAO. Mm. So if you hold, if you're a member of the Arbitrum DAO, if you hold Arbitrum tokens, that money goes into your treasury already. Right. Okay. So you, you don't, don't necessarily to need to, to receive the dividends to your own hands. It's a pot that we all collectively govern. And it so goes into the, the it yeah. goes into okay. the DAO treasury. Right. Right. Okay. I mean, what will the Arbitrum DAO decide to do something else in the future? Maybe um, those revenues go to them and they can decide wh where they go. But currently where they go is into the DAO treasury. So they, in effect, go to the um, to the control of the DAO already. Okay. Okay. This makes sense. That's interesting. And it brings another path for exploration. We won't have time for today. This, this idea of layer two is kind of... Um... Like um, in making sequencing um, permissionless and, and decentralized, mm -hmm. um, like I wonder if that's going to come to fruition or not. Because, like, would the Arbitrum DAO actually care about that? Uh, because they're receiving all of the sequencer revenue inside of their treasury anyway, and so long as the, the Arbitrum um, sequencers are not. Um, I, I guess selling off MEV or doing something nefarious or doing something outside of those those parameters, would they even care enough to kind of decentralize um, sequencers to to various other parties? You guys don't have to answer that question unless you have a take, yeah. but that's a, a curiosity in my mind. I mean, it's really up to the DAO, right? Whether they are whether they want to stick with a centralized sequencer and just assign that role to someone that they trust. Um, I think there are and. And there's a few different issues here that you might disentangle, right? One of them is, can that role be done in a distributed kind of committee way? Um, and the answer to that question is yes, it can be done that way. What is the best way to do that? That's the topic of current research. So the DAO might decide, well, we don't want one centralized sequencer. We want to have a committee of 15 sequencers and you know, assume that some majority of them will be honest. Um, uh, there's other approaches as well. Um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of an op open field and it's really the DAO's decision as to what they want. As a research team, we are figuring out how to do committee-based sequencing, um, cause that's what we do. We develop tech and then, um, because we think that at least some order chains will want it. Yeah. I'd like to say it's also, you know, there's a latency trade-off. Like, you know, if you allow like thousands and thousands of sequencers, that's probably not going to work, right? You want transactions to be as fast as possible. And, you know, what's the purpose of a sequencer really? One of the main purposes is to help spread and lower the costs uh, for users of L2 on Ethereum L1, right? Um, you could imagine a chain that just every transaction is posted individually to Ethereum and that's it, right? It's going to be very expensive. It's pretty unreasonable. Might as well use L1, right? Like a sequencer makes it so that you can batch a bunch of L2 transactions into into a, into a you know, you roll them up basically into this structure that you post to Ethereum. Um, and it helps people save on costs and spread those costs across. You want, you want that process to be as efficient as possible. You want it to be economically efficient. You want it to be fast. Uh, and there's a limit, you know, you don't want, you know, that's, that's really the main purpose. You wouldn't want like thousands of people running sequencers. 
and you care about latency, right? People want that fast response time that they've gotten used to. And that's one of the main uh, functions that a sequencer can provide is it can provide um, it can provide sort of soft finality very, very quickly. Um, and you wouldn't want to lose that in going to uh, uh, in going to decentralization, or at least it would be a drawback if you did. Certainly, yeah. Raul, um, Ed, this has been a great exploration into one of the very important frontiers of, of Layer 2s. And as we come to a close here, I want to pull out just a tweet that I saw from uh, Stephen Goldfeder, uh, also on the Arbitrum uh, team. He says, let's put some of the Arbitrum's recent pieces together. Orbit, stylus, bold. Orbits are, of course, the Arbitrum our SDK chains. Like you want to spin up an Arbitrum chain, you call that an orbit. Stylus, where you want to talk about what stylus is and bold is the topic of this episode. Ed, can you just weave these pieces together? Because it seems to be these are the frontiers of Arbitrum, these these three different endeavors. How do these things all relate to each other and how do they make Arbitrum the best uh, the best chain that it can be? Absolutely. Um, this is really... Uh, these are a bunch of ways in which Arbitrum is a leader among L2s. Um, Bold is our third generation um, dispute resolution protocol. Um, it's our third generation fraud proof protocol, right? We were the first to ship fraud proofs. Um, and we think it's an important advantage for security. That's why that pie slice is, uh, is yellow instead of red right now and is going to turn green. Um, Stylus is another really exciting uh, step forward. What it allows you to do is write smart contracts in any programming language you like, C++, C++, Rust, or whatever, compile them into WASM, WebAssembly code, and then put them into um, an, an EVM equivalent chain. So the, the cool thing about Stylus is not just that you can write contracts in whatever language you want, but you can run them alongside uh, EVM uh, solidity contracts. You can run them on an EVM compatible chain. And uh, and it's a smooth experience. They can interact with each other. They can do all the things that other contracts can do, except you can write them in the language you want, which means many more developers um, will be able to, uh, to write these things, number one. Um, number two is um, that you can bring in legacy code, like legacy cryptography libraries, really important for security that you don't have to rewrite everything in Solidity. Um, and of course, um, much better performance because, um, because WebAssembly has inherently better performance than, um, than EVM. So without giving up all the benefits of being Ethereum compatible, this just opens up a whole new, uh, whole new front in the task to make really general purpose programming on blockchains uh, possible. So we're, we're super excited about Stylus, and you'll be hearing a lot about Stylus um, uh, coming up soon from us. Um, and then, of course, Orbit is, the, te uh, is the, the technology that allows you to have your own chain, to customize it the way you want, and to take advantage of everything that Arbitrum has to offer. This stuff is available on Arbitrum 1 and the Arbitrum Nova chains, right, from the DAO chains that have a lot of, uh, lot of usage, a lot of liquidity. But you want your own chain? Great, you can have this too, um, and that's kind of the uh, the orbit piece. So it's all about sort of making this technology safer, uh, making it more general and flexible, and making it available to everybody. This is so cool, guys! And just one final question as we close. Maybe this one for uh, for Raúl. I, I, I'm wondering, Raúl, if you could kind of zoom out for for a second and give us some perspective on Ethereum's overarching roadmap, the scalability. Roadmap. I remember when you first um, popped on my radar, it was like 2018, there was this existential question for Ethereum. It felt like our uh, the, the Ethereum roadmap was kind of floundering, like we weren't going to make it, like sharding what was happening there. And then you and some co-founders stood up and you said, I got this. We're going to build the, the beacon chain. We're going to call it Prism. We're going to you know deliver on that. Now here you are, you've done that delivery, and now you're working on scaling Ethereum in a new frontier, which is this kind of layer two frontier. How are we doing? How's Ethereum doing according to like its overarching uh, roadmap? Like radar progress, where are we? Ethereum is way bigger than any one person. Ethereum core development is at this point, which is amazing. It, you know, it's not something that I could have said confidently even like, you know, say four or five years ago. Uh, but, you know, the state that we're in right now with so many different teams, so much quality, stability of software that's gotten better. You know, we've gone through proof of stake. 
it's awesome. And, you know, I think, you know, the Prism client, which runs still a, a large portion of Ethereum mainnet today, is a project here at Offchain and uh, at Offchain Labs. And it's really cool that, you know, we get to, you know, have all kinds of discussions about Ethereum L1 roadmaps and L2 roadmaps under the same umbrella. We, you know, we've learned a lot mutually, and I think it's been really good. Um, we like with with what's coming up next would say like EIP 4844 making things cheaper for rollups like that's the first upgrade in which Ethereum really enshrines like like the things that it's doing for rollups because it sees rollups as the way forward it sees L2s as the way to scale uh, you know not just execution but just like end user activity and uh, cement itself as kind of like this premier like censorship resistant like you know data availability chain that's you know the the, the the biggest out there, the most secure out there. Um, and yeah, I think Ethereum is really figuring out um, its identity, uh, I'd say, since the advent of these upgrades that are enabling L2s. And we'll see that a lot more. I think a common criticism, you know, even that I had was, you know, what is Ethereum's identity four years ago? And I think now it's becoming a lot more clear in my eyes. Um, so that's, you know, we're in a good direction, um, you know, really happy with, you know, obviously with how the merge went, with uh, how things are running. And uh, we'll just, you know, we'll see what comes next. Very exciting. Uh, you guys are doing that it. statement from Raul just now should hit extra hard as somebody who is, was formerly and actually still is a layer one client dev and now also a layer two dev as well. So Raul's, Raul's been around the layers. <laughs> uh, well, great. Uh, I'm ending this episode with a smile. Very, very bullish on uh, what we're doing on across the Ethereum ecosystem and scaling this out. So Ed, Raul, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you all. Bankless Nation, risks and disclaimers. Of course, got to let you know, crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in, including on layer twos. There's bugs out there. Be careful. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.